2 Peter chapter 2. So we're just going to read, get that running start in chapter 1, verse 16 through 21, reminding us the power of God's word and where it comes from. And then we'll dive into Peter and his warning here on false prophets. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And when we heard this voice which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain... And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Spirit. Again, the reminder to us that we should be obedient to God's word. That God's word, it's not man writing down their idea of who God is, but it's God writing down who he is to mankind. And now we should be obedient to that. As we heed that, it will shine as a light in a dark place. And then he warns us there in verse 21, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It all comes from God, and then he moves in the heart of men. And because it comes from God, verse 20 warns us, there's no prophecy of Scripture that is of private interpretation. But I think you hear more often than ever before, people say, okay, you want to interpret that scripture like that, but I want to interpret it like this. It doesn't work. There's no freedom to private interpretations. The Zach version, the Raz version, the this version, the that version, there's none of that. It's what God says, and he means what he says, and we'll look at the warning. Basically, the greatest warning here to us is are we going to God and his word under, submitting under to his authority, Or are we seeking to put our authority over God's authority? And that's really the two great differences between the real McCoy and a false prophet. And the warning, the danger to us as well, is that all these false prophets, they arise from among us, right? 1 John warns us, it may be some of us. So the warning for us is to say, okay, Lord, are you the ultimate authority in my life? Or, Lord, am I looking for different areas where I want to place my authority over your own authority? And we'll look at the warnings there with this. But we'll read verse 1 through 3. It says, But there were also false prophets among the people. Past tense. And then he says, Even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. Again, Peter is here and he's warning this church that he loves. Hey, guys, if there were false prophets in the past, there's going to be false teachers around you right now here today and throughout the old testament there's tons of false prophets in the days of jeremiah the days of isaiah one of my favorites is that during the times of elijah i believe is jehoshaphat he talks to ahab and he says okay gather the prophets so we can talk and then he gets all the guys and the guys tell him everything he wants to hear he goes you have anyone else he goes there's this one guy but i don't like him he always has mean things to say about me he always has bad news, so he always has bad news, so I don't want to hear from him, right? He says, oh, yeah, bring that guy. We want to hear from that guy, right? And there's a great warning to us. First and Second Timothy warns us that in the end of days, people will have itching ears, and they will heap to themselves those teachers that they want to have near to them. The problem, why is there so much false doctrine and false teachers and false prophets? Because there are people that want to have False teachers and false doctrine and false prophets. They want to have their ears tickled. In Matthew chapter 7 verse 15, 
Jesus himself, he warned the disciples while he was still living. We could turn there. Matthew chapter 7, we'll read verse 15. And Jesus himself warns the disciples around them, hey guys, there's going to be false teachers arising. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Right? It's a common saying in our modern-day Christianity. I just don't want to judge them, right? I don't want to judge them and where they're at. And here, Jesus himself says, hey, you will know them by their fruits. So maybe you're not supposed to judge them, but be a fruit picker, right? Pick up the fruit of their life. Pick up the fruit of their ministry and say, okay, Lord, what's really going on here? And one of the great ways to see this, right, is by their diet. Sheep do not eat other sheep, right? They don't get cannibalistic and start biting each other and go crazy foaming at the mouth. But if you see a sheep eating a sheep, it means that they are a ravenous wolf hidden in sheep's clothing. And there are ministries that the diet of the ministry, it's not the word of God. It's the people who are coming. And the leadership, they are looking at the sheep, we're going to see in a moment, with covetousness. Man, what can I get from this person? I can't wait to get into their pocket. I can't wait to get that networking. I can't wait to get to know them so I can get to know the next person so I can get to know the person that that person knows. And there's so much danger there. It says that they secretly bring in destructive heresies. Right? How we're warned by Jesus, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Paul later tells us it's just a little leaven that leavens the whole lump. Right? It would be really easy if false prophets and false teachers say, hey, I'm a false prophet. Join me today in Bible study, right? It would be so simple, so easy. But they secretly bring in their destructive heresies. They got big smiles, super happy. Everything is good news, no bad news. They want to make things easier and easier for you. Cutting out certain areas of scripture, cutting out certain mean things of God's word. And they are bringing in destructive heresies, even to the point where they will deny the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And there are many destructive heresies. There are many false religions out there, right? If you speak to many Mormons or many Muslims, many Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe in Jesus as well. And if we're honest, many of these people, their morals are at a higher standard than most Christians. However, they say that Jesus is not the way into heaven. They say Jesus is not God. They say Jesus is not the only way to heaven. And now they are going to reap for themselves destruction. Again, false teachers, they work in secret. But a good shepherd works out in the open. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. And here John, he has a similar theme as we just read from Jesus in Matthew 7. That it's guaranteed there will be false prophets and false teachers and false doctrines. But we need to be on our guard testing them. Testing the fruit. And here John's going to give us another way of testing them. 1 John chapter 4 verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Again, there's a warning to us that we should test the spirits. You should test the spirits. You should not take everything that is said from the pulpit here at Calvary Chapel, Miami, 
as thus saith the Lord. You should go home and read God's word and study it for yourself. Again, being able to work out in the open. Be careful when a pastor tries to tell you they have the monopoly on God's word or God's interpretation, how to interpret God's word. That's a dangerous place and ministry to be. When a ministry or pastor is unwilling to be corrected or questioned, you're getting into like cult-type territory, right? We need to be open and willing and vulnerable. Same is true for our own lives, that we should be willing and open saying, hey, test the spirits. Test the spirits. Right, young ladies, oh, he says he's a Christian. And he's handsome and has lots of money. Has to be the one, right? Do you test the spirits? I think he went to church once, right? I think he said, God bless you when I sneezed. He has to be the one, right? Test the spirits. So much of our life should be being a Berean, which is knowing God's word. And as we know the real McCoy, we'll protect ourselves from these false doctrines, teachers, and prophets. We can go back to 2 Peter, but before we go back to chapter 2, we can look at chapter 3, verse 14. And here there's the warning to us. Because we can come to tonight's Bible study and think that it's all set and focused on the false teachers and false prophets out there. And nothing for our lives to be looking at. But here within this letter that would not have had chapter breaks or verses that's put in there later on. So we can find these sentences quicker. In 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 14. After he would say everything we're going to read later on tonight, he says, Therefore, beloved brethren, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. That even as we read tonight's verses and Bible studies and the destructive ways of false teachers, we need to be looking at our own lives and say, Lord, are there any of these destructive tendencies in me? Because, Lord, I want to be without spot. Lord, I want to be blameless when you come back and when you return. And even though you're being patient in your return for me, you're showing that you're being patient in your judgment on these false prophets and false teachers, right? Back to chapter 2, verse 1, going a little bit quicker now. It says, and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Again, it's not a light thing. It's not a joking matter. These are destructive ways. These ministries destroy people, destroy homes. There's so often, even Adrian and Joey, they're ministering to a police officer and how he got burnt in a whacked out church. He got burnt out there at a young age. And now because of that, it's put a bad taste in his mouth of what Christianity is like, and now he wants to stay away from it. These things are destructive. And what is the desire, what's the impulse of these ministries and of these leaders? Verse 3, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Again, family, false teachers, they're led based on ego and based on greed. They're led based on ego and based on greed. How can we get more people to this thing so that I can feel more like a superstar, so that I can get another high, so I could feel the motion and the waves and the people and the high energy? Or they do it out of covetousness of money, of exploitation, Again, a true shepherd does not lead through covetousness. A true shepherd, a good shepherd, is willing to lay down their life for the sheep. But these shepherds, they see people coming in, and all they're thinking of is, what can I get out of this person? What can I get out of them? It's so dangerous for us, and we need to be careful in the ministries we're at, even careful with Calvary Chapel Miami, that we never get to the point where I'm being led on ego or on money. And I, I know I say it kind of often that many times there's people in ministry because they couldn't make it out in the real world. They weren't a good enough musician out in the real world, so now they just start attending a church and they just want to play mean licks on the electric guitar and worship, right? But it's not for the Lord, it's for their own ego. And now they use that as a stepping stool to get higher and higher, but it's all based on their own ego. 
Same true with some pastors. It's all about a rock concert. They wanted to be that rock god back in the 80s and 90s, right? Today, I guess you would say they want to be an influencer, right? They want to be just a, they want to be just an influencer so bad. But the world looked at them and laughed at them and mocked them. So now they come under the guise of Christianity or the Bible, and they just heap on themselves a greater network, a greater influence, a greater influence, and it has nothing to do with the Lord. We should be careful with these people. And I know there's many of us that our blood boils when we see these people. And some of you guys, if we're honest, it's like self-led blood boiling, right? Because you follow them on social media. You're there watching TBN, shaking your head at TBN, right? Just just turn it off. You don't have to watch it, right? You know you don't have to watch it. I grew up, uh, one of my parents, I'm not going to say who, said, we got to always see this, right? we got to see the craziness going on. I, say, I know there's craziness going on. I don't want to watch this, right? I don't want to get angry here. And what Peter here is encouraging us, he's saying, hey, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. They are not going to get away with it. The Lord loves his people and he loves his word and he honors his reputation more than any of us do. So the Lord has that destruction coming. And now God, he's going to use three Old Testament examples of how God used his wrath and judgment on evil, on evil teachers, on false teachers. And then he's also going to give us three world examples of how the believer reacted in the situation for us to look at. So the first one is in verse 4 and 5. It says, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but he cast them down into hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And he did not spare the ancient world, but he saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Many scholars say that there's about three billion people on the planet during the days of Noah. And God was willing to pour out his judgment on and his wrath. He did not hold back. If you're quick, you could turn to Jude verse 6. Jude chapter 1 verse 6. Only one chapter there. Right before the book of Revelation. And here Jude, he dives into the subject of these angels or these demons that they went from just the spiritual realm where they were supposed to be acting in. We don't have the time to go through it. We went through it in Genesis. But these demons, they came down and they oppressed people and they slept with women. And then they begin to create these Nephilim, these monster people, these giants. And in Jude chapter 1 verse 6 he says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these dreamers defiled the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. So again, God is saying if he was willing to pour out judgment and wrath on the earth for this demonic and sinful activity that was taking place, he's going to pour out his wrath on these false prophets and these false teachers one day. He did not spare the ancient world, but he did save Noah. He saved whoever was willing to love God and follow him. And the example of Noah, right? Imagine decades building a boat for something that has never happened before, right? And that time it had never rained before. So when Noah says, hey guys, it's going to rain to the point where the whole world is going to flood, they all looked at him like he was a lunatic, right? You might as well say, hey, jello, there's going to be so much jello pouring out of heaven that we're all going to drown so everybody get their life-size straw so you can eat your way out, right? And you say, call 911, something's happening to Zach, right? But now imagine that being your dad, right? Imagine that being your husband, But Noah, he stayed faithful. And the difference, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but the difference between Noah and Lot and Balaam is that Noah was in a world of unrighteousness and sin, and yet he stayed separated. And he kept his family separated, and his family saw it to the point that Noah was able to save his wife and his kids and their spouses and their kids' kids. Because of Noah's righteousness. Because Noah was not willing to bend or be defiled by this world. 
Noah stood the course. Right? Sometimes it creeps into our minds, man, it's so hard for us raising kids today. Right? Hopefully there's at least, what, 100, 200 people in here that love Jesus too. Noah was by himself. There was no men's meeting that Noah could go to to find encouragement. There is no Wednesday night service Noah could go to to hear a Bible study and worship together with family and say, you know what, family, we're not the only crazy ones here. No, Noah was literally the only crazy one, right? The only one not going with the sinful world and doing what the world wanted to do. And then on top of that, God would have him build a boat the size of a football field in his backyard. Again, that we would be righteous like Noah, being willing to stand up for God and stand against unrighteousness. Then in verse 6, second example, right? I was in Jude, we read verse 7, how it talked about Sodom and Gomorrah. Back in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, it says, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, he condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Again, there's an example to us of how God sees any sin and all sin. If you're quick, let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 16. And here in Ezekiel 16 verse 49, the prophet Ezekiel, he gives us a longer list of sins and what was transpiring in Sodom and Gomorrah before God poured out his wrath. We know of the homosexuality, we know of the promiscuity, we know of the sexual sin running rampant. But in Ezekiel 16, he gives us a greater warning for us even today. Ezekiel 16, verse 49, it says, Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. So again, the great sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was not just the sexual sin. was not just the homosexuality. was not just the sexual sin running rampant. But they had pride, fullness of food, and an abundance of idleness. And with that abundance, right, with all this food, with all this free time, they didn't even strengthen the poor and the needy. Is that not a great warning to us today in our nation, right? You talk to many people in other nations and you tell them what's going on here in the States. And many of them say the same thing. You guys just have it too good. You have too much time on your hands, right? You're trying to argue about what a boy is and what a girl is. What's, what's happened to you, right? We're here just trying to figure out if we're going to have food and water tonight. And we have so much food. We have so much pride. We have so much abundance, yet we don't attribute it to God or to his blessing upon our nation. We don't attribute it to us being the nation that had the most missionaries going out and speaking into the world. We just say that it's the American dream, the American pride, right? And because of that, we will one day be destroyed, we're not even strengthening the poor and needy, right? If we're honest, both political parties just use them as a carrot to dangle in front of them to get votes or to do something. I imagine just take some of the money going on to all of our politicians, the upper 1%, and bless the poor and needy, the work that would happen there. But we are filled with pride. We're filled with food, and we have an abundance of idleness, Right? Again, family, we have to be careful with that and even with our own kids that we're just giving them amusement to keep them idle and just zombies in a corner so we could relax, right? Got to be careful with that. So many great things happen when you are in a position of need and thinking and bored, right? Allow yourself to be bored sometimes. Allow your kids to be bored because we can really seek the Lord out in nature, being bored, not having the phone, not having the technology to just keep our attention. Verse 50, right? What does it say? That they were haughty and they committed abomination before me. Right? This whole month, what is it? Gay Pride Month, right? Taking pride in this sin. And we should be broken down about that, right? I hope there's no Christian here trying to defend that or not disgusted by that, right? What if there was a masturbation month? 
a pornography month, a sleeping around month, right? Would our stomachs not turn? A pedophile month, a bestiality month, would our stomachs not turn? Has our world so influenced us that now we think that this is not sin? And it's all sin. Any sex outside of one husband and one wife, it's sin. Again, we need to be careful. And the warning to us is that God judged this sin. It's a warning to those in the future who would want to play around with it. We go back to 2 Peter chapter 2. We continue in verse 7. And he says that he delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Again, our God, just as he knows how to pour out judgment, like we saw with Noah and the flood and the whole world, except for Noah and his family, just like we saw with all of Sodom and Gomorrah, except for Lot, his wife, and his two daughters, the joy, the blessing for those who are just under God and being obedient to his word is that he knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. He knows how to do that as well. And if you're here and you're in a season where you just, Sin is just always on you. He knows how to deliver you. The question is, are we taking that life raft, right? Are we taking that way out? He knows both how to deal with the godly and with the ungodly. He knows how to save Noah and Lot and their families. And he also knows how to deal with Sodom and Gomorrah and the whole world. And family, the truth is that God will deliver his church. He will deliver the true bride. Right now there's a season, right, where the wheats and the tares, they're just all growing. And God's waiting for the day. And I think he's already started where he's separating the wheat from the chaff. Those people who are deeming church is essential and church is not essential, right? And he's beginning to divide the wheat from the chaff. Again, the Lord will deliver his church. He will protect us. Now the sad thing with Lot is Lot, as we're reading here, right, he stayed righteous. He stayed true to God, but he had no effect on his family. No effect on his family. Because he was not willing to be separate from Sodom and Gomorrah. He's the one that chose to be near to them. He's the one that saw and said, you know, I want to move my family there. There's so much money. There's so much wealth. It's in a valley. There's so much blessing there, right? So let me move there for my wife, for my kids. And they all laughed at him. His son-in-laws laughed at him. His daughters would later on get him drunk and have sex with him. His wife would be looking away, right? Imagine an angel is literally taking you over their shoulder, right? And dragging you out of the house, out of the city. And she looks back with longing to Sodom and Gomorrah. She would have rather have been there than in the freedom that God would have for them. And we'll see at the end of the Bible study that there are many believers today that because of laziness would rather be in the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah than in the freedom of Christ. There are many believers today, right? We don't have time. We read that incredible list that we should be working on in 1 Peter chapter 1, right? That list that we should be adding and adding and adding and adding. But sadly, there's many believers that they just say, you know what? I'm too lazy to add these things to my faith. So I'd rather go back to my former mud. I'd rather go back to my former vomit. I'd rather go back to my former sin. And that's what Lot's wife was. She wanted to go back to Sodom and Gomorrah, even though God was using an angel to literally free them out of it. Again, family, may we be separate like Noah. Then in verse 10 it says, And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous and self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. We don't have time to go here. In Jude, there's a conversation between the archangel Michael and Satan and whatever. They fought over Moses' body, but they had a certain respect and authority towards one another. The comparing here is that those who are in false doctrines, those who are false preachers, they have no respect to authority. 
And there's a warning to us here. If there are any of, here, of us here who do not have a respect to authority, you will be easy prey for a false prophet and for false doctrines. Right? That's a warning to us as parents. If our kids are always bucking at authority, there's a warning here that they have what? They have the lust of uncleanness. They despise authority. They are presumptuous. They are self-willed. They have no respect. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Whereas angels, they're different. Again, there's a warning to us. Are we self-willed? Do we have that lust, that desire for what's unclean and not that lust, that desire for the word of God? Right? There's a warning to us. Are we those who are quick and prone to false doctrines and false teachings? May we be seeking the Lord. Then in verse 12, he says, but these like natural brute beasts, right? Peter is so uh, politically correct here, right? But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. Again, this list of warning continues to grow for us. They are speaking evil of things they don't understand. Right, family? Do we look at God's word and we say, we don't understand this, so I'm just going to throw it out? I don't understand this, so I'm just going to get rid of this. Are we destroying the male authority in the home? I, I just don't understand this, so forget that. Get rid of it. All husbands, they're all a bunch of dweebs, right? They're just a bunch of dummies. What about male authority in the church? We don't understand it. This is 2021. Why can't the woman be a pastor, right? We don't understand it. It's in Scripture, but we don't understand it, so we throw it out. How about God's plans for sex, his definition of gender? We don't understand it. Look at the culture. We're trying to gain people. We're trying to win people. We have, to, uh, we have to fudge the numbers a little bit to get them in. Is that who we are? Are we speaking evil of things that we do not understand? Right? His authority, his order that he's given on sexual relations. His authority over government. I hope none of us here are those keyboard warriors talking about, about other churches open during the pandemic. I guess not because you guys are here, right? You guys online watching, right? But God has an authority over government. He has an authority over the whole entire world. And are we saying, yes, Lord, your will be done, right? Or are we saying, no, Lord, my will, my desires, right? Are we bucking at his absolute morals, that what his word calls right and wrong is right and wrong? What his word calls as evil and good is evil and is good? Or are we trying to move things around? Are we placing ourselves in a place where we are going to be quick to devour that evil and wretched doctrine? Because we have those itching ears that say, I don't want God as my authority. I want to be able to be into this pornography. I want to be into my alcohol and drinking. So I'm just going to find any pastor that tells me, yeah, go to the bar, go drinking, go crazy. God will cover it in his blood, right? His love is so amazing. He doesn't care if you're just constantly living in sin, right? There's a warning to us. We should not be speaking evil of things they do not understand. We should not be quick to speak evil against authority. God has placed all these things in order. Verse 13, it says, and we will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Again, the warning, the evil of these people, it says that they take pleasure in their sin in open daylight. They are taking their sin and they are parading it in the daytime, right? It's one thing for us to be in sin and hiding it at night and doing it in and on our own. And there's another thing again for a nation to take a whole month and devote it on this. To have parades and devote it on it for our taxes, right? Our public television to be parading this and broadcasting this for our kids to devour it. We are in a very dangerous realm and how there are ministries, quote-unquote, on the sake for Christ, who are going down the same path. It's so sad. Verse 14, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. 
They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. Again, there's a warning to us that they are going to feast with you, right? Hopefully we're being careful who we are bringing into our home and who we're eating with, right? There's the balance that as believers we should be hospitable and invite other people over. But then there's also the balance, right, where Paul says that if there's someone who calls themselves a believer and they're living in unrepentant sin, don't even eat with them. So there's a balance that we need to have here. And then in verse 14, it says that they are enticing unstable souls. Do they go after the leaders in the ministry? No, they go after the weak sheep. They go after the teenagers. They go after the young adults. They go after the new believers, right? Just like a predator, they go for the weakest prey they can find. Right? Maybe you're that person. You're, you're ready when the Jehovah's Witnesses come knocking on your door, the Mormons come knocking on your door, right? You start firing back with them. They're usually quick to leave. But if you just start saying, ah, I don't know, what about this, what about that? They'll like sink their teeth into you, right? And they don't want to go. But if you show that your heart is stable, they're going to leave you. Again, a warning for us. God's word tells us that the man who built his house upon the rock is who? The one that hears God's word and does it. The one who hears God's word and does it. Our, our hearts, our, our souls, that stable soul that the storms will come, the winds and waves of doctrine will come, and we're stable because we hear God's word and we're obedient to it? Or are we that person that's always looking to buck against God's authority and our souls are unstable because we're not hearing God's word and being obedient to it? And now there's no foundation. Our home is built on that shaky foundation. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, Paul, he speaks about men like this as well. If you're quick, you could turn there. If not, you can stay put. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, again, just the, the sick hearts of these false prophets, these false teachers. 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 5 and 6. It says, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Again, we need to be careful that we're not that gullible believer. I don't know what happens to some believers. You're watching this guy, and you can tell from a mile away, this guy's a thief. This guy's a crook, right? This guy's name is Money. It's like literally his name, and you're giving to that ministry, right? Are you kidding me? This guy, he's saying that he needs one plane, not two plane, not three plane, not four. Are you kidding me? He says that there's demons, there's demonic activity going on on American Airlines, so he needs his own private jet, right? Are you kidding me? We should not be gullible, right? Again, test the spirits. You single ladies, you single men here, if there's a new person at church and they're just right, always with you, always trying to eat your heart out right, be careful. Don't be that gullible person. Test the spirits. But these evil men, these evil ministries, that's what they look at. They look for those who are gullible and those who are weak. Those who are being trained by what? Verse 14, back in 2 Peter Chapter 2, it says they have a heart trained in covetous practices. Again, Peter doesn't pull any punches. Here the Armenians may have some problems with some of the wordage that's used here. They are accursed children. Again, that their whole heart is just focused on what can I get out of these people. Ministries that are having fundraisers for church, but yet the pastor's driving around in a Bentley or flying around in a plane or has a yacht. That would take care of the building project and one sale on Craigslist, right? And yet he's looking for everyone else to fund the ministry. Right? You, you need a gift to the ministry because if not, we're going to shut down. Maybe it should shut down quickly, right? Again, be careful of that. We should not be more unwise after getting saved. We should not be more gullible. We should be filled with wisdom, right? Again, don't use those words going around today. I don't want to be judgmental, right? Not the case. We need to judge the fruit. We need to test the spirits. Verse 15, they have forsaken the right way and they've gone astray. Some of them know better. That's what he's going to go into, into this last example here. It says that following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. 
but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet, right? Every Sunday, every Wednesday, verse 16 is happening, right? A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice. But what's going on here? What is this talking about? Balaam was a prophet who knew better, but he was a prophet for hire. He was a prophet for hire. So other people say, hey, I want you to go curse the nation of Israel. First time says, no, not enough money. Second time, it's more money. Okay, let me go ahead and do this. He was a hireling. Again, we need to be careful that our morals or our thus saith the Lord and not thus saith the Lord changes because of the group of people we're with or the amount of money that we may win or we may lose. Because we're with our boss, right? We're with that account that we're trying to nail down so that we can take that extra vacation that our boss promised us. And now our morals are changing because we have all of a sudden become a prophet for hire. Again, be careful of that. Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness. Now he was of the Lord, right? He was of the right way, but he had forsaken it and he had gone astray to the point where, again, imagine putting yourself here. The guy's going after he knows better to go curse Israel and his donkey is not wanting to go because the angel of God is there ready to kill him. The donkey turns around and goes, dude, stop going that way. Why are you hitting me? Why are you beating me? Now, if your dog would turn at you and say, why are you beating me? Right? I think most of us, we'd faint. We'd wake up. We'd say, God, what is going on? Right? This guy's at the point that he says, yeah, donkey, you're lucky. I don't have a sword to, because then I'd beat you with the sword. Right? Just the hard-heartedness that he had. The desire for those wages. Again, there's a warning to us. We need to be careful that we're not just that prophet for hire. We're willing to say the truth of God as long as it costs us nothing. But now if it's going to cost us something, we're not willing to say so. Same is true of many ministries today. Why do ministries now go with, right, whatever the theme is? Whatever the theme is of the world. You look at last year, what everybody was saying about... Uh, race and everything happening. Now today what's everything happening with gender and these churches they're just going off of whatever is popular because they are trained by covetousness. They want the people in the seats, they want the money, they don't want to step on toes and there are portions in God's word that will step on toes. Again may we not be a prophet for hire and may we not be the person looking for the ministry that will approve of our sin because that also happens a lot right? I think we've all been there. You ask for advice from one person, two person, three person, four person, five person, six person, seven person. I've heard from the Lord, right? It just took seven people to ask that all told you what you didn't want to hear. Now the seventh person has told you what you wanted to hear. Now, Lord, I've heard from you, right? Got to be careful with that. Verse 17 tells us, these are wells without water carried away by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. There's two things that we can look from this. One is that they cannot themselves be filled. They themselves cannot be filled. They're proclaiming that they have water. They proclaim that they have the cloud. They proclaim that they have what you need for your life and all these things. And yet they're struggling with depression. They're struggling with alcohol. They're struggling with drugs. Their marriage is collapsing. And they have nothing. The other warning for us and for the people out there is that they say that they have wells with water to give. They say they have clouds, and yet they have no power. There's no answer to the promises that they're giving, right? Promising you health and wealth. Promising that if you just believe enough, if you just say it, it's going to happen. And yet some of them wear glasses, some of them are overweight. They're still asking you for money, right? If that worked, wouldn't they just positively confess the new building, right? Positively confess the new AC that they're begging the church to donate. If it really worked, it's just snake oil. It's not real. They are a false prophet, a false teacher. They have no water. They have no rain. And for them, there is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Verse 18, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness... They allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. 
Again, great swelling words, great speeches. Were you not moved by them? Right? Did you not feel the worship team? Man, haven't felt anything like that in a long time. This great swell of words, but yet it is empty. And they allure you through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, right? They promise you liberty, and yet they themselves are slaves of corruption. So many ministries that are trying to give you more freedom. Jesus loves you, so you don't have to confess your sins. He already died on the cross for them. You don't have to do anything. He loves you just the way you are, right? The drugs, the sex, the alcohol, it's okay, God, it's okay. In the end, love wins. It's okay, And yet what they're giving you is not more freedom. They are leading you into bondage. That your life's going to be destroyed following those types of ministries. The ministries that give you the lust, the desire towards this lust and this lewdness. How God has commanded us that we should be holy as he is holy. Again, that should be the mark, the measure that we see for our life. You see, I see our Christianity, our faith as an insanely high bar that God is willing to help us over. But the bar doesn't get brought lower and lower. God doesn't say, um, yeah, you could still live in extra sin. Or you, eh, it's okay, I'll just bring the bar lower and the bar lower and the bar lower. No. God says, hey, my bar is perfection, but hey, I'm willing to send my one and only son who is perfect to die and take your place to help you over the bar. If you accept him, if you live in him, man, you're good, you're welcomed in. Man, you fell, you fell in sin again. Hey, My grace is sufficient. Confess your sins one to another. I will be faithful to forgive you of this unrighteousness, right? He helps us over the bar, but he doesn't bring it down. Be careful looking for a ministry that brings the bar down. Be careful of the struggles you have that you want to have a ministry tell you they are not sins. This is not sinful in 2021. It was sinful in 2020. It was sinful in 2001, it was sinful in 1998, but now all of a sudden God has changed his mind, right? It doesn't work that way. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The other interpretation we take from verse 19 is that they themselves are slaves of corruption. They're talking about a life of freedom, and yet again, like we talked about, they're struggling with depression. They're talking about a life of freedom, and yet they have drug use. They're talking about the life of freedom, and yet perversion, pornography, sexual promiscuity, and all these dangers. Verse 20, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a soul having washed to her wallowing in the mire. The danger of these ministries, the danger of these believers, is that God will free them from certain lifestyles. God will free them from certain sins, But after they've been washed, after they've been cleansed, they go back to that former lifestyle. And you see that happen with false prophets, false ministries. They used to run a bunch of clubs. They they become this. They become that. It crashes and burns. They're back at that same lifestyle. They were into drugs. They were into this. They were into the show. This is the third. The Lord saves them. The Lord does a mighty work. It all crashes and burns. And they're right back to their own vomit. They're that pig right in the mud. Never had a dog, right? But I think all the dog owners know that when your dog like vomits something out, you got to quickly clean it up. If not, your dog will clean it up for you, right? Even though it just made them gag, even though it just made them vomit, they'll go right back to it. And there's a warning there for these false teachers, but there's a warning here also for us that we would not just go back to our former lifestyles because of laziness. Because of laziness. Right? Imagine someone freed from prison, and after a week, after a month, they say, man, this, this life of freedom's too hard. You mean I got to go to work? I got to cook my own food? I have to pay my own bills? No, I'm going to go commit a crime so I can go back to jail. I would rather be behind the bars, and they pay for me and take care of me, and I get to work out and read books. You'd say, you've gone mad. What are you talking about? 
What are you talking about? This is freedom. Yeah, there's work. Yeah, there's difficulty. But there's freedom here. Many of us as believers, we can struggle with this laziness and say, you know what? I know Christ has delivered me. I know Christ wants me to give me freedom. But I'm just too lazy to get through it. I'm just too lazy, right? We go back to 2 Peter chapter 1 and we look at that beautiful list. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 5. And he tells us, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten, right, like that pig, that they were cleansed from their old sins. Again, family, may we run in this freedom that God has given us. May we not just be too lazy, right? Oh, I just struggle with these sins, but they always get me. I, there's just no way around it. Have you confessed your sins to another brother and sister? No, 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 I don't, I don't want to do that. Have you gotten rid of your phone? Have you gotten rid of your laptop? No, 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 I'm too, I can't do that, right? Have you gotten rid of that friendship? I, I can't give that up. Our laziness will make us that ugly-looking pig, then Jesus took us, right? And he put that lipstick, he did all that work, and then you say, you know what? I just want to go back to the mud. That's not us, right? Jesus says we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, that we'd walk in this truth that God has for us. So again, for us, may we not just go back to our sins because of laziness, because we're too tired. And again, may we be quick to the people in our sphere of influence to talk with them. What is the fruit of the ministry that you're in, right? What is the fruit in your life? How have you grown in God's word? How are you maturing in God's word? How are you getting to know the Lord? Again, that each and every one of us would be there, that we would be that Berean that is seeking to learn more and more of Jesus, more and more of the real McCoy.